prohibitive. Now, they will be hit with the penalty according to the current schedule. I can't speak for the federal government. They may push it off. Congress may repeal it. I don't know. But that's what this report is based on. The current schedule for next year, modeling employer behavior, and that's why we have a range uh, of what the potential tax penalty would be. But it's the same range or the same, same numbers we were hearing before. I go back once again, and I, I find it very hard to believe that employers throughout the state of Arkansas would consciously say that they would rather have their employees on a private option where they don't have to pay a nickel and that the rest of the taxpayers in the state of Arkansas can pick up that cost. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to argue about it. I mean, I, I just feel very strongly about this, and I, I was almost offended when I read that uh, Jackson Hewitt thing, and I was offended when I heard that um, t year, when the last legislative session that this threat was out there that, that these employers were going to have to pay an extra $38 million to be able to, so they didn't have to pay up the, the health care costs for their employees, but they would rather dump it on to the, the folks, the, the taxpayers of the state of Arkansas. I just found that very hard to believe. If I, if I, I, I don't mean to interject in a, in a discussion between you two, but to validate your, your interpretation of, of the business owner's decision that I certainly, I hadn't read that report. I, I certainly hope they're not sort of blaming the small business owner for not being able to afford you know, full-fledged, generous coverage the way it's now defined in the Affordable Care Act. I see it just purely in terms of can they afford to pay for those individuals at the rate of generosity that the Affordable Care Act now requires, their business model may not allow it. So at least when we think about it, it's certainly not a, um, a disparaging comment about the beliefs and intent of business owners who's going to pay. It really has more to do with the marketplace and what they can do. And um, so now, they're, now the question would be posed to them if that employer mandate is put into effect in January, do I now pay more than I would ever have been able to for health insurance or do I not? That really is the question. That they're, and if they, if they can't afford to raise the price of their product or take it out of themselves and pay that insurance, then they face the penalty if the private option's there. So I, from the business owner's perspective, it's not a, it's not in, we're not imputing. Um, no, I, I didn't say you were. I, I just, you know, there are a lot of people who speak for lots of groups of folks. And, and I, I, I was to say I would find it hard to believe that actually if you talked specifically to business people and they understood this, that they really would be saying, I, I prefer to drop these people off onto a private option and let the taxpayers pay for it rather than absorb those costs myself. This may be a survey that somebody's done out there, but as I say, I, I just, I, I, I didn't like that at all. I, I found it, um, I just didn't like it. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Senator English. Uh, Representative Meeks, you recognize for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, Dr. Thompson, my question is to you, and actually it may be a better question for the next um, in individuals, but it's, it is on the um, marketplace. Um, you kind of touched on it. Do we have an idea of how many folks who have not paid their premium? Because there's been reports out in the media, you know, 
nationwide that as many as 20% have not paid their, their first month premiums. Do we have a specific number here in Arkansas? I don't have that number. Uh, the insurance representatives might, but I don't think they're going to have it either. I think this is something, again, we're three weeks in. The feds have extended, I mean, and the carriers have been willing to carry people without paying the premium, which is what you're alluding to in some of the national reports. But at least anecdotally from our carriers, both Qualchoice and Blue Cross, AM Better was not in the room. Uh, the premiums were being paid at a rate that they were pleased with. Okay. Um, and then my um, second question, um, it would probably be for, for Dr. Allison. Um, based on the enrollment of, of 85000 that we got, uh, 309 and I just did an average of, of $400 per person, that amounts to $34 million a month, um, potentially $409 million for, for the complete year on the private option. Are those similar figures to what you're getting? Do we know? The average cost is at three hundred, four hundred, five hundred on the on the private option per person. Yes, the the we believe that the average um, the average premium paid, uh, I believe it's today, uh, to carriers for the first month's uh, enrollment, just under sixty thousand, and that average is. Uh, Last estimate I had was $467 total per person. And so uh, the second part of your question was whether uh, that is in line with our expectations. And yes, it is. So we, we, we believe we'll come in, uh, for example, over the full course of 20 uh, calendar year 2014 into the end of, 20 calendar, of fiscal year 15, a year from July, just you know pretty close to what we predicted last March you know there's slight differences in the premium there's slight differences in the pace of enrollment we're a little ahead of enrollment etc for now I don't think we'll be ahead of the enrollment predicted for next year so uh, it, it really is right in line um, and then that brings me up to the question you said that the federal government is actually starting to pay the carriers they have made their first payment so the way that that works is that uh, the federal government puts an amount of, this is how Medicaid works in general, it's just that our match rate's higher in this case, right? Uh, 100%. Uh, the federal government uh, makes available matching funds. Uh, we pay the premium, uh, and then we either get, for normally it'd be 70%, in this case it's 100%, we draw that down from the federal account. So we actually make the payment, that's how they require it be done. Uh, it counts from an accounting point of view against our MMIS, creates a clean, a clean transaction, and then we get, uh, we request those uh, compensating funds back, back from the feds in real time. Cash management rules from the federal government um, have us to do this all in, in, you know, let's say within a day. So we have made the payment to the carriers and the federal government has paid us. There have been no issues with that at all that you're aware of. Since the payment's to be made today, I will hesitate on the second aspect of your question. It would be within 24 hours. No, there won't be any. Okay, so the, so any the state has paid the carriers today for, for January, for everybody in January. Or is this a February payment? I just want to bring clarity to it. I think Dr. Allison's hesitancy is he doesn't know when that cash. I'm told the, I'm told the check will be written tomorrow. It's in the mail. <laughs> So the okay, so the check from the state to the carriers, 
is be being made, and then shortly after that, you expect the federal government to yes, and that's straightforward. And, and we transact with the federal government at the rate of already three, almost three and a half billion dollars a year in just that fashion. So there won't there. You're won't not be anticipating any problems then, okay? No. And I, and I just say that we don't, we don't even have to ask them to send it. We simply pull it out of a pot of money that's sitting there. We we, we do it ourselves. We don't have to say, Mother, may I? Wow, I need to get signed up under that plan. It sounds like a good plan just to pull money out um, whenever. Let me clarify if I could. <laughs> we make quarterly requests for those funds, and they make those funds available to us in advance on a quarterly basis and that, so, that, so that it can all be done within that you know, one-day turnaround, et cetera. Uh, so they get all of the, for example, we, we have to obviously manage interest on accounts, that kind of thing, cash management rules. Uh, and then after the fact, we all, we reconcile. Uh, one last question: Do you know what the actual amount of the check is this month? Let me get that to you during the hearing here, if I can. Sounds good. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. And I'm sorry I walked out to get coffee, but um, Representative Meeks was asking a good question about at the current enrollees. What was the estimated price of uh, what we're paying per month? It, 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 it's in the neighborhood of four hundred sixty-seven dollars. We had an exact estimate as of, you know, two or three weeks ago. Were there any, you know, uh, last-minute adjustments to an eligible person, that sort of thing? I'd want to get you an exact figure, but that's no, but that's like, the average. If we were going with a hundred thousand enrollees at four hundred sixty-seven a month, is that forty-six million? Forty-six point seven million. So for the first month, we had just under sixty thousand. Okay. Who who were enrolled as now premium paid uh, enrollees in private health plans. Uh, and just to remind, we referred to 85, roughly 85,000. That changes every day. Had several hundred enrolled yesterday. Uh, that's how many are determined eligible. We're reporting those numbers to you. And we know when they're determined eligible, whether they'll be in the private option Many of them have not taken that screener yet, so some of them may end up back in. And that number is always going to be higher on a monthly basis than the number we've paid premiums, at least now during the ramp-up period, than the number we've paid premiums for because of that enrollment period. Yeah. So it's 60,000 paid premiums for January, but by this point in January, we have that many more Yeah, eligibles. and I'm sorry, I, that, that was good information, but I was not clear on what I was trying to drive at. I'm just trying to get a, a ballpark cost for what our annual a ballpark number for what our annual cost or monthly cost is, and then maybe even extrapolate that out 12 months. I mean, because it was roughly a billion or maybe plus. So it, let me at help the you current enrollment status. It's going to be probably half that, right? Right. And of course, what we have going on now is we're we're in the uh, enrollment phase, and the prediction was that it would take. Um, a year or more, it's clearly going to take more than a year to get up to 225,000 enrollees in the, in the private health plans, 25,000 medically frail. That's going to take you know, more than 12 months to ramp up to. So uh, we believe there'll be $400 million or more paid uh, in this fiscal year, that is by the end of June. Uh, and the current prediction is, a, is around a billion and a half uh, total for the next 12 months, uh, and uh, and that's a product of the ramp up that that's that's being projected, and okay. that's 
with debts within $100 million of the prediction from, uh, from last March. Okay. For 2015. Um, I'm going to go back to Representative Meeks for a quick follow-up. Thank you. Um, along that lines, were there any additional costs? Because those below 100% are not paying uh, a deductible. They're not paying copays or anything like that. Who is actually covering the costs? Is that so? Those right. And so, uh, let me confess to you a simplification. When we report premiums, so that we're not misrepresenting, that $467 figure includes the raw premium and that amount you just described, which we refer to as cost-sharing reductions. So it's already built into the 467. The sticker price of the, of the premium on the exchange is quite a bit, it's less than that, and we just didn't want to mislead folks, so we've been referring to the, to the combination of the two. Thank you. And the federal government's paying both. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Okay, thank you. Representative, um, or Senator Riper, you're recognized for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, gentlemen, I've, some of these may be just simple yes or no, so you won't have to, because I've heard a lot of your elaborations. Uh, I asked the question um, of uh, Commissioner Bradford uh, a few weeks ago uh, about whether all of the aspects of the reforms that were put in the private option, in your opinion, have actually been implemented without any aberration. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to take this last one last for you. Uh, in terms of the employer mandate that Senator Bledsoe was talking about, the only thing that I wanted to add for clarification is our waiver request that's been put in, regardless of any of, of what the federal government is doing in relation to that. Because if they don't, do so, if they don't repeal it, it could come back into play. I'm asking on our waiver request, is that still an integral part of the waiver so that regardless of whether the federal government repeals it or not, we have that in place that will cover Arkansas? Senator, which, which waiver? My understanding is that, that by the private option that the employer mandate would be done away with for our state. Uh, no, sir, the, the, with the private option. With the private option. With right. the private option, the employer mandate's still there. The, the employers over size 50 would not potentially face a penalty if their employees okay. go get the coverage, but I it's, not, it's not, specific, it not specific to Arkansas. I should have stated it more clearly. I'm okay. sorry. But that's still, there's no problem with that in relation to what the federal government is, is doing. Correct. Actually, it, it makes it easier to comply with the Health Care Independence Act, which asks us to assure that business, what the Health Care Independence Act requires is that we assure that as a result of the private option, those businesses will not be subject to the tax penalty. Mm -hmm. If there's no tax penalty to begin with, it's even easier to comply with that provision Senator, to make oh, sense. Senator, I want to make sure, because we have a above and below the line issue. Okay. The protection is for employees that are 138% or below because we have the private option. Those employers still have exposure at 139 and above that would go into effect, as Senator Bloodsoap said, mm -hmm. next year unless something changes. Mm -hmm. so, okay. so our private option protects employers with lower income folks who probably can't share much in the payment of the premium as is scheduled. And again, I'm just, I don't have any influence on the federal government. As is scheduled, that exposure to employers does go into effect 
uh, January of next year for those above 139%. Here's the big question, um, and, and I know you can't speak for them in this, but as you know, several members have been surprised by the 15% reduction in payouts to specialist doctors. And what's troubling about it is that for the same code, for the same procedure, a specialist would get 15%. Some, some even argue more than that, less than what the same primary care physician would get. Now, I know that that may not have been specifically stated, but there were some uh, inferences given. There were some assumptions. There were some, uh, some uh, not necessarily promises, but I will say that it was pretty much understood that that would not happen. And when you're trying to provide access to people, and I hear from Blue Cross Blue Shield that they could just opt out and not serve those people, that's particularly troubling to me. And so I want to ask you what your, your opinion, if you can, give me of that situation, because it seems like that that is critical right now for some people's support. Senator, one, I'll tell you, we are not in the middle of those discussions, but my understanding is that Blue Cross is well aware of the concerns that have been expressed and that there are probably members in this body and in the administration that are working with Blue Cross on that issue to, to address I, those concerns. I have been in the middle of that and actually raised it to the next level. Okay. And so I'm getting reports on where they're at now with the governor's office. But I can assure you that if you're not involved in some way with your input, you might ought to be because it has become a critical issue and it's a critical one for me and and this is and i will close my comments and i thank you for allowing me these questions mr chairman and that is one of the greatest fundamental problems i have with what we're having to endure in the country and even as it relates to us is these constant changes from the federal government that don't even have congressional approval it just totally takes away any confidence I have in what we hear being said as it relates to anything with the ACA. And then now even with the private option, we see this move, which, by the way, I serve on a national uh, executive committee within COIL. There is no other state in the nation that we're aware of where this particular type of change has been made other than Blue Cross Blue Shield right here in Arkansas. So, Senator, let me let – me address, at least from my perspective, and, and remind the committee on the carrier issue. Uh, in the private option modeling that we did last year, and again, I just want to level set, there was included in those actuarial assumptions a 10% deflationary effect on prices over time. Was it 5? A 5% deflationary effect over time. I can't defend a carrier's contracting decision with providers, won't defend, won't try to justify. But I think I just want to level set that I do believe that the providers are having an enhanced payment to what they would have had under Medicaid, and it is private rates in the exchange. We did model over time that those rates would grow lower, grow slower than an unfettered market without the private option. So I just want to level set there. there, there we modeled some deflationary pressure at that time, and you'll remember that we talked about it in, in the legislative body. Uh, the implementation of that I can't defend and won't try to justify. Well, I'm with you totally on hopefully that obviously we hope that costs come down, but I'm glad that you answered, Dr. Thompson, because you're a doctor. Um, th these changes that, that have been implemented have never been done anywhere before.
and they're actually singling out specialist doctors, and, and they're paying them less than a primary doctor. And we've gone through this in committee, but I'd just like to know what your opinion as a physician is on this and what it's doing within our physician community because I've heard from more doctors on this issue than I did even in the private option in the first place. And I think it's if you're, if you're trying to have um, a cohesive approach to this and have buy-in from physicians in our state, I really think that this issue, and since, by the way, that most of the dollars that are paying for the premiums to Blue Cross Blue Shield are public tax dollars, I think you have a vested interest in this. So I don't discount that I have a vested interest in several issues here before your committee. Uh, let me just offer, and, and I think you asked for my opinion. My opinion is the fee-for-service model that pays a unit price for a single thing without any extended responsibility like we're trying to do through the payment improvement effort is a historic payment model that we must move away from. In other words, if I see somebody for one thing, I need to have some follow-on responsibility for how that thing comes out. I'm not defending any payment mechanism that's being contractually discussed now. I just want to say my opinion is the fee-for-service model for a unit service without any extended responsibility is what we're trying to change in the payment improvement effort, to have that clinical leader be incentivized financially for getting the best outcome at the most efficient way for the patient. Well, Dr. Thompson, it interests me on this issue, and I'm going to be done, Mr. Chairman, and that is this, that it was interesting through four or five months of discussion with Blue Cross Blue Shield on this that sat in the chairs that you're sitting with and met in the Senate conference room with me and a bipartisan group of legislators the other day that never once mentioned to me that if they lost money that there was a federal reinsurance program to pay them back. Now, what's critical is that this cut that has been put in place by them Right now, they are not offering the same thing in the exchanges as they are in their commercial rates. But according to the rollout further in the next year or two, you will then have a exact same rate structure between the two. I believe that's in the statutes or, or in the federal rules that have come out. And so I just uh, encourage you. This ha And I know that they're working on this, but the thing is they haven't told me yet that they've completed it. And so I told them, as soon as I know it's complete, then I'll be satisfied. But this is one issue where you know you're losing support, and I encourage you to either fix it or give us some kind of reason that will, will allay some of our fears. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Representative Hammer, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The question I was trying to formulate a while ago was to uh, Dr. Allison or, or to John. I was curious as far as the verification of private option beneficiaries, um, who's, who's responsible for that verification process? Is it DMS or is it the uh, Office of Medicaid Inspector General? Who's, whose umbrella is that fitting under? Let me see if I understand your question, Representative Hammer. It is verifying who's eligible for uh, the program is it well yeah. who's verifying the information that's coming in to determine that they qualify to be able to take advantage is it right so for those who apply to the state uh, that is the division of county operations uh, and they they determine uh, eligibility based and I would you know defer to director Jones to describe as she has you know how they do that and the various uh, sources of information that they rely on 
for those who apply to healthcare.gov, uh, the federal government is the one who is uh, really through the same data sources, but they're the ones who verify uh, income and citizenship and identity with the various government agencies, Department of Homeland Security, Social Security, and, and IRS, and then they send to us uh, a, uh, a verified eligibility. And at this point, uh, the vast majority of those who've been enrolled have been enrolled through the state, uh, and around 9,000 have been enrolled through healthcare.gov at some delay, I would, I would add. Okay, and one last question. Um, early on in all this, there was an expected savings that, uh, my terminology, was supposed to come back to the state, you know, as far as, like, from the uh, RSPMIs for the episode of care and everything. Have y'all uh, started developing any trends, or has there been actually any savings back to the state through that, or can 